0: So my name is John, uh, the uh, pastoral apprentice here at Crosspoint. I know uh, most of you know me, but if you don't, that's, that's why I'm up here. I get a, the privilege on rotation to come up and speak with you. And, uh, and I do count it a privilege, and I'm excited uh, to come before you today. We're going to be continuing our series in more than enough. Uh, we've talked about more than enough of God's... Uh, we, we can find more than enough in worship. Uh, God's joy in worship—we can find uh, more than enough in uh, Scripture reading. There's there's joy that that abounds uh, in in our time in His Word and understanding it. And today we're going to look at more than enough of God's joy in prayer. Uh, this passage we're going to talk about today is found in Matthew six and Luke eleven. I'll mention Luke eleven, but I'm going to mostly focus in Matthew six. Um, It's the Lord's Prayer. Most of you know it, I'm sure. Uh, We're going to use it um, as our structure, as our framework today. And I want to just kind of tell you, if you look at your notes that I put out in the bulletin, um, I I called this sermon the Disciples' Prayer. And I I just think it's a more fitting, uh, I'll I'll lay claim that I didn't uh, come up with that on my own, but but I do feel it is a more fitting description uh, of what we have here. Uh, yes, it's a prayer that the Lord is giving. It's Christ himself praying. But it, what does he say in verse 9? He says, pray then like this. This is more an instruction. It's, it's part of this, Matthew 6 is part of this Sermon on the Mount where we are learning how uh, to do any number of things, how to live for Christ, how to live for God. And, and so this is a teaching Opportunity so it's a it's a disciples prayer disciples of Christ are to pray then like this As we're looking for joy We're going to use for this this scripture to show us how do we find joy? How, how does Christ expect us? How does Jesus expect us to find joy in and through prayer? And The answer comes real quickly in the beginning, but I, I want to start with a question have you ever thought about God? And I, after that worship session, I, I hope that all of you had. That was, I couldn't have picked those songs and I didn't, uh, but I couldn't have if I wanted to any better. How great thou art. Have you ever just sat and thought about the perfect, perfect, holy, just, complete in and of himself, creator of this universe, God, who, who does not need anything doesn't need any, anything to be happy, is complete in and of himself, perfect joy, perfect happiness, perfect bliss, is in himself everything. This is a thought that is just overwhelming. It's, it's, it's something that I, I can't even comprehend. I couldn't explain to you in, in a thousand sermons just the, the fullness of God. And, and in and of himself, he doesn't need to do anything, but he does. He, in his grace, in his overwhelming joy, he goes and he creates, and then he spreads that joy to us. This is the gift that we have in God. This overflowing joy comes to all of us. As Pastor Dave said last week, uh, there's a fountain of joy dwelling in every Christian. Everyone that puts their faith and trust in Christ alone has within them the gift, the down payment of the coming kingdom in in the form of the Holy Spirit, the very perfect Spirit of God, the very essence of God himself, in his fullness, in his perfection, in his joy, in his grace, in his holiness, in his power, and in his provision lives within you. You have access to him 24-7, every day, all day, (laughs) in all times. You can go before God before the very creator of the universe, before perfect happiness, before perfect bliss, and you can receive from him joy, provision. This is is what prayer is. This is the essence of prayers, and this is the essence of who God is, and this is what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has granted us access, communion with God at all times. That's our focus today. That's what we want to talk about. I want to talk about God in all his glory. What more joy, as we're talking about more than enough, as we're talking about joy, what more joy could we possibly have than the joy that comes from the creator of joy himself, the very essence of joy, the very measure of what happiness is in God himself? That is where we come in prayer. That is before whom we go looking for provision. That's where we go to find true joy, to experience joy from beside him who is joy. That's prayer. That's what we're discussing. Go backwards a little bit and and we, we should do that. We should go before that God. Go before that creator and and. And uh, receive some of that before we go any farther. Would you join me, please? Lord God, to to begin to explain your majesty, to begin to explain the overwhelming very nature of who you are, your being, it's far too much. It's far too much to understand, let alone to speak on. It's far too much to even think on. My my brain can't hold the amazing attributes. Your your perfect holiness, your perfect righteousness, your perfect justice, your perfect bliss, your perfect happiness, your perfect joy, your perfect grace. Lord, grant us a glimpse, even, even if just the smallest portion today, of your joy, of your blessing. May we focus our hearts and our minds on you and may we receive from you a greater desire for you, a greater understanding of you, and a greater love for your word, for your truth, and for your presence. Draw us in more and more as we go out um, today. May, may you build a fire within our hearts to just know you and to love you and to serve you for your name, for the coming of your kingdom, and for the glory of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, our provision, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I began um, preparing and studying for this sermon, as I looked at the passage and looked at the concept of prayer in general, what I found (laughs) shouldn't be real surprising. And it it, it truly wasn't real surprising, but it's something that I have to bring up because we need it to be the first thing we think about. Because this is the first thing that Christ thought about when he was teaching the disciples to pray. His focus was on God. Prayer is to focus on God. This prayer here, specifically, is all about God. From the beginning to the end, it's all about God. It's about His power, His grace. It provides joy by knowing Him. By understanding Him as our provision. By going before Him. All the fullness of God in prayer. That's where we're aiming. That's where Christ is pointing. Uh, there are two main sections to the Lord's Prayer. There's the first half, we, which we overtly just discuss God. We, we look to his name. We look to his uh, setting it apart as holy and in asking for his kingdom has come to come, asking for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an overt, very just direct focus on God. And then there's a second part that kind of seems like we're, changing focus. We're going to look to ourselves now. We're going to look to our daily bread, our need for salvation. But I'd say that it looks more like the same focus. We're looking at God to expound his glory, and we're looking at God for his provision in life. The second part isn't so much about us as it is about God displaying his power. God displaying his provision for his children. The first section is about the glory of God. The second section is about the provision of God. We're going to go right into the text just for a minute. I know most of you probably have this text memorized. But um, I thought we'd try something new and, and maybe stand. It's a quick passage. We'll just stand while we read God's word Reverence God's word and look to it to speak to our hearts today. We're going to read from Matthew 6. Thank you for the PowerPoint. I appreciate that. Uh, Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 9. It says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the glory forever and ever, Amen. I I had a hard time myself putting the ESV up there. I I have that ending in my mind and in my heart every time I go into it. Um, So I appreciate adding that. You you may be seated. Um, There is a reverence to this. There is a a real sense in which we are looking to Christ as he's teaching us to pray. And there's a, a beauty in that. Now, we just recited it. We just stood and we reverenced it. And that is a good thing. That's a joyous thing, and that's a, a, a something that um, I think we lose a lot of times, is that reverence for God's word. But it was not necessarily meant to always be read that way. That's a good thing. That's a joyous thing, and I, I appreciate you doing it with me, and I thank you. But that's not necessarily way it was always meant to be read. If you look in Luke 11, he doesn't copy that. This wording, exactly. It's the same prayer, but it's, it's worded a little differently. So we can see that even amongst the disciples, they prayed this a little differently. It was a form of prayer. It was a structure for prayer. This was teaching us how, then, we are to pray. And, and, and it has gotten a little out of hand in some places, in some throughout the years. It's been uh, just a matter of rote repetition. We're just going to copy these words for word, over and over again, counting beads or whatever we do, but we lose the meaning of it. We lose any understanding of what Jesus is actually telling us in this passage. What what is he actually saying about prayer? We just are copying his words. And when we do that about any scripture or any prayer, we lose it. We lose the power behind it. We lose the joy in it. There's a framework and a guide that Christ is giving us here, and it starts by directing our attention heavy, heavenward to God who dwells in heaven. The more, this is more than just an opening. This isn't just, hey, God, we're, we're talking to you. This isn't an announcement of, of, who we're directing our prayers to. This is meant to focus our attention, give us an opportunity to understand the gravity of the situation. We're coming into the presence of the very creator of the universe. We are coming into the presence of the one who dwells in heaven. That is what we're doing. Before we do anything else, we need to focus our attention in prayer on where we are headed. And this reality isn't new to the New Testament. This is something that was seen throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 24, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house. This is Abraham speaking. And then Rahab in Joshua 2. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then the Lord himself speaks in Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The focus is heavenward. The focus is understanding where we are talking, who we are talking to, and where he dwells, where our provision comes from. And even the Jews, rejecting the Messiah, still understand the nature of focusing prayer on God. They they have a prayer they call the Kaddish. And it's, again, they, they reject Messiah. They reject Christ. And yet they follow a prayer that is so very similar. The Kaddish says, Glorified and sanctified by God's great name throughout the world, which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and during your days and within the life of the entire house of Israel, speedily and soon, and say, Amen. This is a a focus that comes from Old Testament. This is a focus that comes in the New Testament. This is a focus that Christ brings to us to teach us. We need to focus our attentions heavenward before we do anything else. When we enter into prayer, we're entering into the very presence of the one who resides in heaven. And this should cause us to stop and think about that. Before we ever direct any other petition towards him. Stop. Think about who you're going before. Jesus then progresses into the prayer itself. And he he focuses in on the name of God, the working of his will and, and the bringing about his kingdom here on earth. With that, Do you understand what that means? Do, do, do you get what he's trying to say? To have his will done in my life and the lives of those around me, to have his will done perfectly and carried out perfectly just the way it's done in heaven, to have the efficiency of the angels the obedience of the angels, the unquestioning obedience to his very will, to his every direct command, without question, no matter the cost to myself. This is where that prayer is leading. Do you pray like that? If we'd take the time to pray like that, if we'd enter into prayer with that mindset, And we'd go in with that focus to take the time before we said anything else to just extol his glory, to just revel in the reality of who he is, that he, not just what he does, amazing to praise him for what he does, but to praise him for who he is and just rejoice in it. If we start in that way, we are completing this this directive. We are hollowing his name. That's what it means, his very essence, his very being, all that he is, to just set it apart as holy, to look upon it as holy, to rejoice in it. We, we, if we started that way, if we prayed that way, our, our later petitions would be more guided in his will, would be more directed for, to his glory. And, and would give us greater understanding of what his provision really means. We'd see more clearly our needs according to his will. We, we'd see what was truly important and what was fluff. When, when we take that first time, that first moment in prayer to just look to him, it will give us clarity. A lot of time, our prayer can be um, rather selfish we, we see ourselves as the center of the earth. We, we, Our needs at this very moment are more important than anything else going on in the world, and our prayers direct that and reflect that. They are selfish, and they are motivated by temporal needs. They're foolish prayers a lot of times. And while God, in his great mercy and in his great provision, will sometimes provide for us in those times, he is. Oftentimes he'll just let us sit and wonder where he is, and James speaks of this concept in James two. He says, or James four, James chapter four, verses two and three. He says, "You do not have because you do not ask." Now this this part we understand. Everybody gets that part. We need to pray. We need to ask. We get that. We understand it. That one's real real common to us. But it's the second part we sometimes miss. You do not ask, or you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We we ask for our own foolish desires. We ask selfishly. I want us to see that prayer that produces joy is never about you. Now, you may be involved in it, but it's never about you. Prayer that will produce joy is only found when we focus and we center our attentions on God. That's where true joy is going to come from. When we look at this, when we look at prayer, um, and specifically prayers throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, we're looking at Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to focus that, pull that one out. This is a, a darkest, the darkest time any human has ever been through is something that none of us can even understand as he's looking forward to the cross that's that's a trial and a tribulation and none of us would ever will ever have to deal with and could ever comprehend in its fullness and we see a glimpse of where his mind is we see a glimpse of what he's thinking and what he's praying for in the garden of gethsemane he says my father If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's he's lost all formality. If anything, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Christ himself is looking at this, this period coming up. And he, he understands it. Is there any other way? he doesn't stop there. That's the beginning of his prayer. He continues on, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So even in the darkest hour of Christ's life, even in the most troubling hour that any man has ever faced, his mind was on, not his will, but the will of the Father. While none of us will ever be in a situation that bad, hardships will come to us all, whether it's a sickness of a family member, illnesses of ourselves, death of a family member, a friend, uh, loss of a job, loss of a home. Any number of terrible situations happen to us on a yearly basis. And if it's not happening now, it's going to happen. It's just a reality of life. And in these instances, happiness isn't where our mind is. That's not our desire. We're not looking for joy in times like this. When we're facing these trials, joy is the last thing. We're just looking for relief. But it is here. It's in in these times. It's in, in these moments that the way we pray really makes the biggest difference. If you focus on self alone, your tendency will be towards selfish prayers. Prayers that do not take into account the will of God and and the sovereignty of God and the hope of God. The prayer that always leads away from God. Selfish prayers will not find the joy and provision in God. Joy comes from looking to God. You can only lose it when you look away from it. In prayer, to find joy, your focus must be on God. You will lose it when you focus anywhere else. Prayer in our darkest hours focused on God will lead us into greater understanding of his provision, greater understanding of his sovereignty. And and through this, we'll find comfort in joy and knowing that we are held in the hands of the creator of the universe himself, that none of this is out of his control. We'll understand his will greater, and therefore we'll have joy in knowing that we are his. And we truly believe that God is perfect, holy, loving, just, gracious, abounding in hope and peace and joy. How can we ever want to be anywhere else? That's where comfort is going to come in the darkest hours. In understanding that this is the perfect place, the best place, the only place. Sitting in his will if he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present, then the best place to be is in his guiding hands, especially in trials. The true joy in prayer comes from knowing you're held by him, that you are led by the Spirit of God, and that you've been bought by the Son of God. That is joy. This is is prayer that fulfills joy. And leads into the will of God. This is prayer that grants us greater understanding of direction and happiness and joy. This is is an understanding that life is but a vapor. That these things will pass but that eternal happiness is found in his presence. We're granted a taste of that in prayer. We're granted a glimpse of that when we understand prayer in this way. That true joy comes from God-focused prayer. The next section brings into focus our dependence on God. How even the smallest of our daily needs can be fulfilled by God. Jesus asks in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Bread. A meal. Some people talk about prayer, and they they make it seem like you have to pray these impossibly huge prayers. That if you're not praying big, you're not praying at all. You've got to ask God for the impossible to see the impossible. Your your prayers need to be outrageous. And I can I can see this reality in some, some instances. Uh, you throw me out of a plane, I'm the first to pray for wings. Guaranteed. You, you put me in the middle of a battle zone, I'm praying for bulletproof skin. It, it, it just, you put me in the right situation, insane, impossible prayers are coming out left and right. But, but but Jesus is saying, our very daily bread, our provision for the day, for all things, pray. God is provision in the smallest things and in the largest things. We're to look to God as provider and hope for just our everyday meals. You can't keep your heart pumping, no matter how hard you try. You can't keep the breath in your lungs, no matter how hard you try. If today is your day, today will be your day. We look to him as the one who has all of that in control. None of that is in our control. These things are granted to us by the grace of God. Our very breath, our very meal, granted to us by the grace of God. And we we should, as Christians, acknowledge that in our prayers. Recognize that. We of all people. Now some of you are asking, okay, my dependence on God, my neediness on God, this this is leading away from joy. You've gotten off topic. How am I to rejoice in my neediness? What what does my dependence cause me joy about? And I say, you, you got your focus all wrong. It's not your neediness and your dependence you're to rejoice in. It's in the provision of God you are to rejoice in. This is why I'm saying this second section isn't about you, it's about him. The provision of God is what we are to rejoice in. This section focuses us in to realize we cannot provide our even daily bread. It must be given to us. And how glorious a God that would do so each day. How gracious a God that would provide for us, care for us, every day, even in our sinfulness, in our wickedness. The sun shines, the rain falls, on the good as well as the wicked. Look with me at um, John chapter 15. I think this grants us another glimpse at our, the joy we can find In the provision of God. John chapter 15, starting in verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, You abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If we abide in Christ, if the word of God abides in us, in other words, if we will depend on him, trust in him, focus our attentions on him, If we live with our minds focused on God and his word, then anything we ask is glorifying to God and is a blessing to us. Our dependence on God is meant to focus our attentions on God because that is where we will find fullness of joy. That's where we will find provision in joy. It is these things that will fulfill all joy. A mindset on Christ, a mind focused on his word, a mind focused on his... uh, his very being, his very name, his very provision. This is where we're going to find joy. God's provision brings with it joy. Abundant in those who acknowledge it. In those who will think on it. In those who will thank him for it. It should be for us a truly joyful response to even think on these things. You ever thought about the, uh, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. But let's, let's even bring it home. Well, what about our everyday meals? Have you ever thought about giving thanks? Is this just Christian morals? Is this just routine that we do as Christians before we eat? We as Christians could recognize that the very bread on our tables is cause for rejoicing. Thanksgiving is about recognizing our dependence on him and his over and abundant giving and grace. Jesus continues through this prayer and he teaches us to look forward to the joy of salvation. The joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that all we need to do is ask and we'll be cleansed white as snow, pure as the lamb that was given up, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. 1 John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prayer is an opportunity to receive from God the judgment of clean, of pure, of holy. The sins of this world that drag us down, those sins and temptations that dirty our feet, that must be cleansed daily, we have opportunity to permanently set them as far as east, as far as from west, through repentant prayer and trust in God's provision of that. What greater joy? You're clean. You've been rendered a judgment of pure before God. In looking at our need for daily bread, the joy is not in our hunger. It's in the provision of God. In looking at our need for daily cleansing, there's more joy in understanding that our Lord came down from heaven itself and gave himself up for the wretched sinners that we are. He sacrificed his life on our behalf, taking sin and evil and death with him to the grave and rose again victorious over it. This is this is rejoicing. The joy is in him, in his work, and in focusing ourselves away from ourselves and on God. There's a, a popular book out there that begins... The very first line of the very first chapter with the line, it's not about you. But then it proceeds for 300 pages to just talk about how it's all about you. Jesus in this prayer is completely different. He starts the very first line and he says it's all about God. And he takes us step by step through this prayer and he says it's all about God. Your need for daily bread? It's about the provision of God, your need for cleansing from sin. It's about the provision of God. The only one who is able to keep you from the temptations that would drag you to hell is not you. It's God. What I mean is that anytime we look away from him, anytime we look away from him, we lose out on joy. The temptation is always there, especially in the face of of tragedy, when, when we think about the horrific nature of ISIS, when we lift up France, Syria, Iraq, and any other nation around the world being besieged by Islam right now, when we are in the midst of our petitions before the Lord on their behalf These are not happy prayers. These are not pleasant thoughts. But even in the midst of that, there's a sense in which as Christians, we can remain joyful. At least in a sense. And our focus, if our focus is not on God, we'll lose that. It'll crush us. It's too much. But with a focus on God, when we pray, it will change what we pray for, who we pray for. And more than that, it's going to change the way we look at the situations around us. If our focus is on God, we have real reason to maintain joy through the evils and trials of this world. We acknowledge evil is real. We acknowledge it's powerful and we acknowledge it's everywhere. But we also understand that Christ died to defeat all of the evil in this world, and that he is returning. And we know that there will be a day of peace and of joy like we cannot understand here on this earth, and that day is coming sooner, day by day. As we look to the evils of this world, we can understand very clearly, day by day, the day is shortening, and he is coming back soon. We can say with the scripture writers, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We can have that joy in the face of the most terrible occurrences on this planet. As Christians, we can maintain joy if we have our focus where it needs to be. Prayer that produces joy as its, its focus has at its center a focus on God. Focus on self will only steal that joy. I'm going to close now, and I, I just want to close with a uh, quote from a missionary woman to Ecuador. This woman um, outlived two husbands. And one of which was murdered by the tribe, slaughtered by the tribe. They went to reach for Christ in Ecuador. She had untold hardships throughout her life. Elizabeth Elliot was a woman who knew about trials. And yet, this was her perspective. The world looks for happiness through self-assertion the christian knows that joy is found in self-abandonment i want to leave us with a challenge i want to challenge you to look away from yourself and i want you to challenge you to look at prayer in the way that christ laid out here it's it's not as a means to achieve our desires but as a way to commune with god to go into his very presence To understand who he he is. To praise him for it. To give up ourselves and our desires and to pray with our minds solely on him. His will. His grace. His glory. His kingdom. See if your prayer life doesn't change when your focus changes. See if If you purposefully pray in this way, your prayers don't become less selfish. See if you do not find more joy in prayer that is focused on the one who grants all joy. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to spend just... Sometime in your word, and sometime focused on you, as the world around us causes us grief and, and and trial, and as we have daily routines that lead us away from your word and your truth we Acknowledge that we have within us an opportunity at all times to come before you and to receive from you in abundance more than we can ever comprehend. And I praise you for that. And then the opportunity today, just take that time to set aside all of those other cares and just come before you in worship and in praise to receive from you provision, hope, joy. Empower us this week to focus more on you. Grant us this week a greater desire to search for you. Grant us an understanding of our need for you. We praise you and we thank you in in the name of our Lord. Amen.